It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. The NBA is a league of duos in 2023, as all of the teams that had a chance at the finals are based around two superstar players. Fortunately for the Phoenix Suns, they have two as well. On today's episode of Lockdown Suns, we'll zoom out, look at Kevin Durant and Devin Booker among the NBA's duos and what their strengths, weaknesses, and odds of getting to the top really are. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we're back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past six seasons, a writer at suns.com, and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for making Locked On Suns your first listen here on this Monday, starting off your week. We're free and available everywhere you listen to podcasts, including YouTube. You can also follow along on Twitter at LockedOnPHXSuns, where, in addition to that YouTube comment section, you can join the listener community, get your thoughts in. Tell me where I'm wrong, tell me where I'm right, tell Brandon the same, and we will uh, have some fun through the offseason each and every day. Become an everyday or get locked onto your favorite team with all the news and analysis that you need in what should be a pretty busy offseason. Today we're talking about duos. Uh, the Suns have an incredible duo, and that duo got them 10 playoff wins, or not 10 playoff wins, 10, uh, 11 playoff games, and Obviously, six wins, so they're in good shape. Are they in good enough shape? Brandon Duenas is joining to break that down, as he does every single Monday. He is a writer over at Bright Side of the Sun and the co-host here on this show, as I said, every single Monday. Let's let's dive in, Brandon. And, and where I want to start is the Suns are in an interesting spot within their own history. They've never really been a team that had, at least when they were at their best points, like a bona fide like, top two type of roster and even when they had you know Shaq or not Shaq yeah I guess you could say Shaq and Nash stat and Nash was what I was gonna say um Barkley and whatever guy you want to point to like they've had star players but never quite in this same way where it's two guys and then we'll figure out the rest from there what do you what do you make of or how are you thinking about kind of that that new era for the Suns because I, I think it's going to be even more in that direction as the offseason goes on is like those are our two guys the rest is pretty interchangeable yeah I mean I'm jealous of James Jones first off you, you get a builder out those two guys it makes your job a lot easier <laughs> obviously there's some some cap issues and uh, contracts that they'll have to kind of sort out but from a foundational standpoint like this is why Suns fans should still feel pretty optimistic like you have Devin Booker and Kevin Durant so building around those two guys it's, it's just finding the right pieces uh, and like you mentioned the Suns have had like Nash and Amari, but even then you had Sean Marion, who was kind of the, the third wheel and like the, you know, I'm not going to say forgotten stepchild, but he was kind of underrated. He might say forgotten. Terms. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, that was just a team that was predicated on just moving the ball in their system. So even then, like 
the the National Amari pick and roll was 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 classic, but nothing's going to compare offensively just the firepower to what Booker and Durant. We we saw some flashes of it, but I think it's it's only going to get better as as time goes on, and it has a chance to be. I think it already is the best Suns duo uh, in franchise history, but at this point, it has a chance to be one of the greatest in, in NBA history. And you know, Durant was not at his top form, and that should be exciting for Suns fans in the sense that he has a full off season to kind of recover get more familiar with book and put the right pieces around those two. And I think it's only going to get better from here. So if I asked you, I went through uh, dunks and threes.com, their estimated plus minus, which is kind of the, the, the most widely used one of these all in one stats at this point in time. If I asked you who in the league from a duo standpoint had the best combined estimated plus minus, what would your guess be? I would, I feel like it has to be Jokic and Murray, right? Well, not so. This is regular season, and I think that's probably where they're dinged a little bit. Regular season, okay. Because Murray uh, had an up and down year, so Jokic and Murray are actually uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh of the the group. Oh wow! That I pulled. Um, do you have another guess? I, I want to say Brown and Tatum. So they're actually ninth. This is what's interesting, and Good obviously Lord. this is where we'll get to with some of the playoffs versus regular season stuff because I think that was one of the takeaways that I had putting this list together. But number one was actually Embiid and Harden, and, mm. uh, which is surprising, and it was by a, a pretty substantial margin. Number two was even maybe more surprising, although some of it wasn't actually playing together, but it was Luka and Kyrie. Uh, wow. Number three was LeBron and Anthony Davis, Fourth was Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Fifth was Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Sixth, we have Jimmy and Bam. Seventh, you mentioned the Nuggets. Eighth, the Cavs with Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, although that one is subject to change. I think uh, Evan Mobley might have something to say about that as soon as next year. And then ninth, the Jays in Boston. And then tenth was Ja Morant and Jaron Jackson, just a touch behind the Celtics. So really, the Celtics are much closer to 10 than they are to the top. So I think that's interesting. What are your takeaways just hearing that and kind of how much of that list is actually represented in the final best kind of contending teams in the league versus just more of a regular season thing? I mean, from the second when you asked me to, to list that, I knew that list is kind of going to be all over the place. Just yeah. first off with how wild the regular season was in terms of the trades, the small sample sizes, and then, uh, you know, obviously Philly, that, that one's a guess I probably should have had in my in my bag because I feel like Embiid and Harden had a pretty uh, efficient regular season. So I think those playoff colored glasses kind of got me there, but, but yeah, it's, it's, it just goes to show you that this league has, uh, it's not really, there's not really the big three anymore. There's not the super teams. It's more of like the stars and then supporting cast. You put around those, those two guys with some, some teams have, you can make a case for a third star, but it's not like there's a clear cut big three. So I think that's just kind of what the league envisioned. That's what they want for parity. Uh, it's better for the league to spread the talent around, and with the new cap rules coming in, it's it's only going to make it more uh, balanced in that sense. But uh, but yeah, there's there's nothing that's too shocking to me in that list. Uh, other than the Luca Kyrie thing is interesting. That, that's, so if Kyrie and KD were still together, or if you just counted them together, since most of the season they obviously played uh, alongside one another in Brooklyn, they would actually be tied for third. Kyrie was oh, really wow. statistically 
uh, valuable or like favored among kind of stats like this because he was just so efficient this season. He had a really, really good offensive season. And then, uh, you know, it just didn't contribute to a ton of winning when Durant was not in the lineup in Brooklyn. And then obviously in, in Dallas, their season kind of fell apart. So you can take that or leave it, but it's, it's just an interesting thing here. Um, in terms of the way that the league wants to be in some of those cap rules, I, I think, you know, zooming out as we are here, looking at the whole league, I did an episode right off the jump and like some of it was a little obviously uh, silly in terms of Kyrie and James Harden being legitimate candidates to maybe come to the Suns. I, we don't really know how how likely that is at this point in time so early in the offseason and that was how I focused the conversation. But the real point was like they should not be going after a third star. And when I look at this, it kind of backs it up and then you look at who's in the conference finals and it's you know, two, two, one, one team in the West that obviously has a duo, but definitely no third star. The Nuggets are really one superstar and a bunch of really, really high level, you know, borderline all-star supporting cast. And then in the East, a team with both teams centered around two duos and then depth. So there's really no team in the league, not to say that you don't take it if you can get it, but with the third stars that are available with what the Suns can actually offer right now, I don't think any of them are good enough that would convince me that they're going to be the team to buck the trend and be bring the bring the big three back to the NBA. I don't think that's what the Suns should be focused on doing. Yeah, and look, I mean, there's there's there is one path where I think if you do go that route and you, you're convinced you can get a lot, like not a lot, but at least a couple uh, valuable vet men guys that are just kind of hungry to win a championship to surround that big three, then, then I can talk myself into that. But I agree in, in terms of just the general philosophy, that should not be the direction they go. Uh, you just look, you know, not just this like postseason run, but just in general, what the league's trending towards is depth matters, not just the regular season, but your, your playoff rotation really does matter. And we saw Booker and Durant doing, you know, playing their best basketball of their, or at least Booker playing the best basketball of his career. A lot of that had to do with KD, I think, in, in a sense. But also, I think Durant's life would have been a lot easier if the role players stepped up. So it kind of it's it's a balancing act. You're trying to get your stars as much help as possible, just so they don't have that constant pressure and attention on them, and making their life easier on the defensive end as well. So yeah. uh, just building the best team around those two is is really um, obviously the goal. And I don't think a third star is necessary to win a championship. No, and I think, too, from a depth standpoint, you're, you know, what you're talking about is absolutely right. You just want the most talent that you can get, period, even if it's not concentrated at the top of the roster. But I think the other part that we're seeing with the more parity that there is in the league is, you know, the Warriors could afford to not have depth when they were at the, you know, winning championships because the league wasn't as deep overall and they were able to just blast through a lot of these series. Like, I was looking it up. They're... Uh, basically eighth man in the 2017 finals was Ian Clark. Remember him? <laughs> like their top, their, their seventh guy was 36 year old David West. So they really had like six players, Sean Livingston. And then the, you know, the, the death lineup guys. And yep. they were, they won four to one over maybe the best LeBron Cavs team. And so the, it really just has changed that you're going to have longer series as Boston is showing us and Miami is showing us, and you want you know to be able to match the other rosters around the league. So let's talk about the strengths of this duo, this particular one here in Phoenix, and why where the Suns have advantages over some of the other groups. First today's show, guys, 
Brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is fixed. Daily fantasy sports. They've made it fun. They've made it easy. They've made it quick. You just pick two to six players, and if they will score more or less than their Prize Picks projection, so no pool, no opponent, no head-to-head, no league, just you versus those projections. Through the NBA Finals, one entry placed after 8 a.m. Eastern Time each day will be randomly selected, and that user will be given another entry, a six-pick flex, in which if you get all six right, you get a million dollars, a million dollars. If you get five correct, 80 grand, four correct, 16 grand. Full details can be found at prizepicks.com slash million. You must opt in there. And once you do, all you have to do is play the game like normal and you could be their lucky winner. Download the Prize Picks app now. If you have not already, go to prizepicks.com. Get in on that competition. But also, in the meantime, use the promo code Locked On when you download to get a instant deposit match up to $100 and 100% instant deposit match, meaning if you deposit 100 Prize Picks matches that right back into your account. Again, that's promo code Locked On at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. This is Jake from Locked On. Locked On has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So I have uh, three strengths here, Brandon, uh, of the Durant-Booker duo. I'll read you my three, and then you can either add to the list or... If I say what's on your mind, we'll focus in there. But I have shooting, just shooting, like deep shooting, shot making. I have shot creation, the ability that both of them have to create for themselves and their teammates and be offensive engines. And then I have size. I think the fact that they're both wings is important here when you look at Miami or Boston or the Clippers or the Lakers. I think having wings that can create is something that the league is always searching for. And the Suns have that. So those are the the biggest three things that I came up with that you get when you start building a team around Durant and Booker. Yeah, that's a good, great starting point. Uh, I would just add to that just, and one of this one's kind of similar to what yours is, and that's just tough shot making, which is essential in the playoffs, just the bailout shots that, you know, your offense can break down and you just throw them the ball and they're just going to hit a tough fadeaway or something in mid range. Uh, versatility is another one in terms of just you could build you could get really creative with how you build around them offensively I feel like there's no cap to what type of team you could build around them you can go with point book you can go with a little bit smaller lineup you can you can really mix it up a little bit so I think just the the sheer versatility of of these two is is what really excites me in terms of what Jones can build around them Mm -hmm. um and just going back to to your point on the size, I think that's also uh, super important. It goes into the versatility. So uh, just just overall, I think you know this this duo has a chance to be one of the, like I said earlier, one of the greatest duos of all time. 
uh, offensively. And I think they're both pretty underrated defenders as well. So that's just the, the two-way potential excites me. Uh, so th- there's definitely a lot to like. And I- I'm just looking forward to see like how these guys really click because it- it's such a small sample size and Durant coming back from injury that, that I, don't, I don't think a lot of Suns fans realize how great Kevin Durant is. And he, he was well, good. Let me ask you. Uh, well, well, actually, we'll talk about that with weaknesses. Let, let mm-hmm. me uh, let me zero in on what you're saying with the the defensive versatility or the versatility that you pointed out in general because I agree like you yeah. could have a DeAndre Ayton trade that gets you everything from Fred Van Vliet to uh, Maxi Kleba or you know those aren't equivalent players but you can go in so many directions with the Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton moves as well as the free agent signings that they might be able to make with their exceptions all because of the versatility that you're talking about. But I would say defensively, that's kind of what I was getting at with size, right? It's like, you know, I think part of let's, let's use like the heat and the Celtics as an example, because I think they both have wing slash forward, big uh, duos that mirror the suns in some ways. It's like, well, you can get away with having like Gabe Vincent, who's a smaller point guard, Kyle Lowry, who's a smaller point guard, or even, you know, shooting specialists like Struess or Robinson, who I think are underrated in some of the other aspects of their game, but really that's what they're out there for. Because you have a wing stopper and an at-rim stopper, which Durant isn't obviously the same level as Bam. You're not going to be playing Durant at center 45 minutes a game like you would with with Bam, but that's a, a strength to have. And the Celtics have some of the same types of things where it's like they can get away with Grant Williams, who's a specialist, or Derek White, who's a little smaller. I know he's a good defender, but he's still undermatched and Butler can pick him off and it's like well it all sort of works because you at least have like those backbone pieces that every NBA team needs and the Suns have that here they have a a rim protector and and rebounder and bigger guy in Durant and then they have somebody on Booker who we've seen when it matters guard you know uh Russell Westbrook or guard um Chris Middleton whatever you want to point to I think that's going to be really helpful for them to compete in the playoffs, compete, build different lineups, like you're saying, um, just because I think that's one of the things that got in the way with with Booker and Paul. It's like, yes, Paul got injured, but when Luka is able to just switch on to Chris Paul, even when Chris is playing well, and that's such an obvious disadvantage, there's a, a ceiling on what you're really going to be able to do as a, as a team. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think Booker's finally shed that, that narrative. It's so tough to shed that, like, early career like whatever you are as a defender sticks with you for so long and now you'll see people say like you know Booker's defense is a weakness and the the first reply will be like you're a casual so that's it's good to see that narrative flipping uh and he's earned that he's really worked his ass off so I think as long as he continues to to grind on that end like in the big games in the playoffs I know he's going to he's going to bring it and he has the size the strength and he's a smart enough player to where he knows where to be Uh, obviously the toll offensively does, you know, conditioning is tough in the NBA when you're, you're playing with the workload he has offensively to really be locked in on every single defensive play. So there's going to be lapses here and there, which are, are typical with any star really. But for the most part, I think when he's locked in defensively, he's, he's proven he's a plus defender. So that's, I'm not yeah. in the slightest worried about that. And in fact, I think it's a strength like we were talking about now that we could build off. Yeah. So, like you probably want, more deep like you're not saying Devin Booker is our playoff stopper like we're gonna go put him on whoever and and we're good like it's I definitely don't want it to come across like it's at that level of Jalen Brown or Jimmy Butler or Kawhi Leonard but it's at the very least like 
you can put him on a good scorer and you feel good about it rather than nervous or hiding him right especially late game like if it's a if it's a big possession and you know you need to stop uh, he has that that mindset and that uh defensive mentality where he's going to grind he's going to you know, work his work his butt off that entire possession and mm-hmm. and do what he can to disrupt. So, uh, but yeah, I agree. He's not he's not a stopper by any means in terms of like this is who what his identity is. But you could definitely build an elite defense around him and Durant. So it's and that's that's a scary thought considering how what their offensive ceiling is. So let me ask you this then to close this strengths segment out. Uh, mm-hmm. Is it a strength? Is it is it fair or is it too early to call it a strength? that these two guys seem to like each other and get along and want to play together. Because I think that's necessary in the NBA today. Like, I just listed Embiid and Harden, Luka Kyrie. Those are the two top teams on the list I made. Both of those duos might not even be together if we talk about it again in in a month and a half. (laughs) They might Mm -hmm. both have been dismantled. The Clippers, who knows? You know, the, the, the Celtics, for all we know, might not stick around. But I also don't know if three months of Booker and Durant, if it's fair to, to jump and say that yet, considering Durant's history, fair or unfair. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it does matter uh, to an extent, but there's, there's a point where it's like the talent outweighs that in certain situations, like just thinking off the top of my head, like going back to, they're not at that level, but like Kobe and Shaq where it's, they're different players and everything, but just those two guys didn't get along, but they just dominated and it didn't matter. Uh, I'm, I think Booker and Durant's relationship is is huge, though, in terms of the longevity of this relationship working out. And I, I think Booker's mindset in general, he's just someone that wants to win. Uh, he's he's a definitely an alpha in terms of he wants to be that guy, but he's not afraid to concede in key moments. And he has that respect. Uh, I'm not going to say fear of Durant, but more of like a, a mutual respect in terms of like he doesn't want to uh, not upset him or anything, but it's more like, he, he just wants to win at all costs. And I think they both kind of have that same mindset where they they don't really care who's taking the big shot. Uh, they trust each other. And like, it, it sounds crazy to say it off such a short amount of time, but like that's only going to get better as time goes on. So I think yeah. they both have the right mindset to where this thing could really work. And we've only seen like a little preview of it. So that, that's what excites me the most. Let's get into weaknesses, starting with kind of an offshoot of this, which is they don't have as much chemistry as, Mm-hmm. A lot of these other duos and, and some that have been together for, you know, a decade or close to it or, you know, genuinely have gone through stuff, know how to play with one another, are really connected in that way. We'll start on that after one more quick break. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, coming back here. So chemistry is hard to measure. It Sometimes when they're winning games three and four against the Nuggets at home, it feels like it doesn't matter. Other times when, you know, it's a fourth quarter of game two, for instance, and they just are going one-on-one and missing front-rimming shots because they're tired and not really running any offense, then you're like, oh, yeah, that's 
there, there's a reminder that they missed all but eight games of playing together in the regular season. That That's what that looks like. So that's a hard one to, to know how it'll affect them. But the good, the good thing is they have the whole regular season this upcoming year to fix it, Brandon. So mm-hmm. what do you feel like is should be the approach this upcoming regular season. Because the other weaknesses I have are age, which is mostly the fact that Durant is how old he is, 34, and injuries, which this past season both guys dealt with a pretty significant amount. Um, How would you balance that? Because you know that there's going to be teams that they're running up against who have played together a lot more, so you want to try to get to that level, but you also know that you're dealing with a guy in his mid-30s who has a injury history and you know your other superstar who always seems to have a, a groin or ham, hamstring thing mm-hmm. yeah age and injuries are definitely a concern uh more so with Durant I think Booker obviously he, he's had his fair share of, of injuries here and there but uh I'm, I'm not super concerned with that you know the hamstring thing is something that you know every time he lands awkward I kind of cringe a little bit hoping it's not popping up again but but with Durant, I, I would not play him in back-to-backs, to be honest. Like, you have to realize it's, it's a marathon on a sprint. Like, you need the the reps. Uh, I think chemistry is huge. But at the same time, you need him on the court. And the regular season, as we've seen, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter because it does. I think, you know, Denver is a prime example of having home court can swing a series. And, and you know, I think having home court in, in any round, for, for the Suns specifically, could, could definitely help. So I'm not going to sit here and say it doesn't matter, but – Kevin Durant's health is is number one, and at this point, and good like same thing with Chris Paul. Good luck convincing him to sit out in those games because he does. If he's healthy, he wants to play. He has that same mentality. So, uh, but yeah, overall, I think just keeping these two guys healthy and a new coach coming in too with the, with a the new offense will kind of switch up, you know, what they've built on in terms of trying to figure out. There's going to be some more in game adjustments they're going to have to to kind of mesh with, but. But overall, I'm just excited to see a full regular season. Hopefully, they both stay healthy. And and Durant's and Booker's handle is one thing that I was going to bring up in terms of uh, not a weakness, but a little bit of a concern in the playoffs. There's some some pretty careless turnovers, and and uh, you know I think I'm not sure what I can attribute that to with Durant specifically because I I'd have to go back and see a little bit more of his his Brooklyn tape in terms of watching some of those turnovers. But but it, that was one thing that kind of caught my eye. Yeah. I think that's that's a good one. I, I wonder that has to impact. I mean, I guess that's a little bit of a counterpoint to the versatility stuff we were talking about, right? Like that sort of has to impact how they approach whatever the additional ball handling on this roster is going to look like. And it makes it easier said than done to just say, all right, goodbye, Chris Paul. You know, not that I am advocating that they 100% keep him, but it's like you have to have a backup plan that gets you something close to a, a secondary ball handle. I mean, like you, again, you think I, to me, Boston is the best example of this. Almost every single player on that roster at times lineups that they'll put out there, all five guys can handle the ball and, and you're not really worried about it, including Horford. Right. So I think that that has to factor in how you build around those guys is yeah, they turn the ball over They're either Duran. It's like a little awkward and, and high and, has never been the biggest strength of his or it's Booker. And, you know, he just, it might be the one like a minus in his offensive game left at this point, which is that he, he can cough it up a little bit from time to time along those lines. One that I had was shot diet. And I wonder what, how much you think 
this matters. So in the regular season from February 1st on, which doesn't include the Durant stuff's hard to measure, but uh, they were 23rd in three point rate and 30th in at rim rate. I can get the playoff numbers here as well, which was uh, among three point rate, they were last and rim rate, they were also last. So how much, and like by a considerable amount, not like by tenths of a percentage point or whatever, like they were four and a half points lower than Chicago and five and a half lower than Sacramento, who actually made the playoffs among rim shots. And then in threes, they were uh, more than a point and a half below New Orleans and Chicago. And the next actual playoff team was the Lakers, who were almost four percentage points higher than them among threes taken. So like this was like historically centered on the mid-range and they won a lot but also we know you can run into trouble how much of an issue do you think that is and how would that affect like do you think they should be targeting more shooting with the other guys or how would you kind of approach it yeah so I kind of look at that as more of a team construction problem than like a Booker and Durant problem because I think you don't really want to adjust their games too much like obviously I do think the threes is something that I would like to see both of them increase but that's just not really who they are uh like there's games where if it's there, they'll just take whatever's in the flow of the offense. But I think getting a steady diet of uh, rim running, just having a lob threat and someone that can attack the rim off the dribble, along with a lot of three-point shooting around those two should be the ultimate goal. Uh, just try to insulate them with what their weaknesses, pers- no, I'm not going to say weaknesses, but uh, what they don't do. So just yeah. try to surround them with as much of that as possible uh, with their supporting cast and I do think those things need to change. I'm not sure if it's going to come directly from those two, though. That's kind of how I view that. But, I mean, that's another example. I mean, to pull from these, the best teams left now, Miami, neither of their Mm -hmm. guys take threes, right? Jimmy and Bam don't take threes, especially in the regular season. Jimmy will sometimes do it in the playoffs more often, including the Mm -hmm. insane one he made with, like, two minutes left in that game six to come back. But that's not their game. They both attack the rim a little more, so they have that going for them. But still, they've yeah. they've made a conscious decision that just about every other player on that roster is going to be a shooter outside of the backup center, which is Cody Zeller, mm-hmm. but he's barely on the court. But like Kevin Love, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Duncan Robinson, Kyle Lowry, Caleb Martin is now a shooter, apparently. Like all those guys can be spot-up shooters, pull-up shooters to complement the way that their best players play. So to me, yeah. that's that's the template. You got to try to find it in other spots. I think you're right. I don't think you want to change how they play, and I also think they've both shown that, like in the playoffs, they're gonna get the right types of shots when they need to. Like I think both of those guys got to the free throw line a ton, which was a, a problem the Suns yeah. used to have, and now that's solved. So it's like, I think it's a little less of a emergency than like some of the analytics people who cover the league and stuff might make it seem. Because if you have a great offense sort of just different ways to skin a cat or whatever you want to say right like there's there's not one way to score points in the nba and if you win it doesn't really matter how you got there yeah 100 percent. that's why i think you know as much as so there's there's still people out there that want to keep both chris paul and deandre and i think they need to move on from both for that reason because you just need to build a different look around those two and Mm -hmm. that's that's the easiest path to get that done If, if you want to try to get creative and keep that big four together and and figure out the weaknesses from there. I think it gets a lot more complex. So that's kind of why I'm uh, in the camp of, you know, just move on from them however you can, get creative with the contracts, with the trades, surround them with depth and, and what they need most uh, around those mm-hmm. two. Because you, you don't change what Booker and Durant do. Uh, 
they are the the foundational pieces and you just got to try to find a way to get them optimized uh, on both ends. So that's, that's pretty much the primary reason I'm, I'm ready to move on from both those guys. It's uh, obviously like we kind of talked about last week with the whole Aiden situation, you don't trade him just to trade him for, for scraps. If that's the case, you might as well keep him at that point. But, but, uh, but yeah, I think at, at this point you just got to play to Booker and Durant's weaknesses or what they don't do as, as much as you can. Yeah. I think what they don't do is a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, they were the third best offense in the playoffs of all the teams that made it at least to the second round this year. Um, they were behind only Denver, who's just a, a juggernaut, and Boston. But only Boston was by less than a point per hundred possessions. So, you know, they were basically, aside from the Nuggets, they were right there with any other offense in the league, despite all those crazy shot distribution stats that I said a second ago. So you have these guys, they get the types of buckets that you need to be able to make in the playoffs. And they were doing that even when other stuff wasn't working, you know? So I feel pretty good about it. And, you know, even going back to that list to to circle back and, and close out here, it's like Philly. Okay. You know, they made it about as far as the Suns did. They made it one game further. Dallas didn't even make the playoffs. The Lakers didn't, uh, you know, they didn't face as tough of a road. They ended up losing to the same team the Suns lost to. The Clippers can't even stay healthy, so they're kind of in a different conversation. Cleveland didn't make it as far. Memphis didn't make it as far. So, mm-hmm. you know, you weed all those teams out, and the Suns are in a pretty good spot, and I think you would take their their talent and the fact that one of their guys is right there in their prime over most of these other things. So I did a show, I, you, you mentioned at the very top, like Suns fans are feeling down on it, and those two guys are the reasons they have a – a shot. I did this. I did a show arguing a similar point, like in the aftermath of, of the game six loss. It's like, if those two can be as good as they were this postseason, you're always going to be right there. You might not be the favorite. Yep. You might not be going in feeling like this overwhelming force of a team, but you have that talent. You're always going to be in it. And that's why you make the trade. hundred percent. 10 times out of 10, you make that trade. Don't question it. It's, it's just, uh, cause I mean, imagine yeah. how we would feel if they, if they had lost to Denver in the second round this year and they still had the same talent continuity. that they had before. And then it's yeah. Continuity again. And then it's, we're having the same, we're having the dirt Aiton and Chris Paul conversation, but instead of that, it's like, well, they need to nail those trades. Otherwise you're, you're, you're kind of like really looking in, at a bad situation at, at least now it's like, well, they lost, they have issues. They need to get better, but we know they'll at least be a, a second round team for the most most likely next season. Yeah, and just like zooming out, just looking at what this how the season went in terms of where they were in January versus like where they are now and just the whole Durant situation in terms of him getting injured, uh, trying to, you know, just build this team from from scratch essentially and just like go in the playoffs and expect everything to work out. Like if the matchups were different, maybe, maybe it works out. If the seeding was a little bit different and uh, they they caught Denver in the Western Conference Finals instead somehow like who knows but uh, overall I think th- this team like you said you have Booker and Durant you have a chance to win any series it doesn't matter who you're playing against now it's just about James Jones and Matt Ishbia and, and company to to surround these two with with the right pieces and uh, in terms of like you could pretty much put any type of roster on these guys I think they can make it work but now it's about how they go about that that's that's the key is how they go about it and, and how much depth they have and which direction they go. So that's, that's the exciting part. And we don't even have a coach yet. So there's so much to, to get into. So yeah. Well, we'll I mean, uh, I was wondering if we might get that news in time for today. We are recording at about one o'clock P 
people. So um, if nothing else, I might do an extra quick show if we do get that news on Sunday evening, but I don't think that's going to happen. So uh, enjoy the holiday Monday if you have the day off. And whenever there is coaching news or anything else to discuss, I'll be here with you Tuesday regardless. You can read Brandon's work over at Bright Side of the Sun. Hit follow or subscribe to get this show, as I said, tomorrow and every day throughout the rest of the offseason. Catch Locked On Sports today as well to get caught up on everything going on around the whole sports landscape. That show's available on all podcast platforms just like this one. And I'll catch you guys tomorrow. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 